Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's TJ Zizzo and Angel Sampe. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. A top fuel hopeful looking for a first win. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! And a bike legend that just grabbed her latest. And the wildest day of the history of this category is finally complete. This is the NHRA Insider. I am your host, Brian Loans. Welcome to another episode of the show, and I'm really looking forward to this one as we have a couple of great drag racers on with us this week to talk about not only their careers, not only their establishment in the sport, but also the immediate kind of fun stuff they have going on. we got TJ Zizzo, of course, who will be racing Justin Ashley in a rain-delayed final round from the Lucas Oil Summer Nationals at the Denso Spark Plugs U.S. Nationals coming up in just a couple of weeks. And we have Angel Sampe on, who picked up her first win since 2016 in the pro stock motorcycle category certainly a long time coming for Angel and we're going to have a conversation with her and talk a little bit about kind of what it means to reestablish herself as a winner what it means to reestablish herself as a factor uh, what it means to kind of validate her role now on the Screaming Eagle Harley Davidson Vance and Hines team whole lot of stuff to talk about with both of these competitors who are really as hardcore as it comes in the world of drag racing and that's one of the things um I think maybe gets lost every once in a while when we talk about NHRA competitors. We talk about, you know, other forms of drag racing, other people. We think, oh, how hardcore that person or this person is. Um, when it comes to Angel, when it comes to TJ, they both strike me and they both land in a in a hardcore bucket, if you will. They land in that hardcore part of the sport where passion uh, sometimes outrules good sense and we're all the beneficiaries of that where people who love this so much do things that other people that have you know maybe less love for the sport have a a less emotional attachment to it wouldn't go the extra mile and the people that go the extra mile are the ones that tend to provide us with really the most incredible moments they provide us with these heart-stopping moments these inspiring moments and certainly during the year of 2020 uh, anything that is inspiring is certainly something that uh, we can all look forward to. Denzo Sparkplugs U.S. Nationals, as mentioned, are coming in a couple of weeks as I make this show um, kind of in mid-semi-late August. Getting ready for this weekend will be the JEG Sports Nationals at New England Dragway, and the Division One race will be run in conjunction with that. So I'm looking forward to spending the weekend up in my home track of New England Dragway in Epping, New Hampshire. Unfortunately, one of the tracks this year that lost their Mellow Yellow Series national event in the cancellation and or reshuffling of the schedule because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But it was amazing and great that JEG stepped up with these additional sports nationals and certainly uh, very thankful um, as someone who is a New Englander, as someone who loves New England Dragway, very thankful for the opportunity to have that JEG sports nationals race and it will draw. Uh, some of the best sportsman racers in the country. So got to be very fun. If you're in the New England area, please, by all means, come up and see us this weekend at Epping, New Hampshire, at New England Dragway, and make sure you bring your mask as they will be mandated by the state of New Hampshire. you got to have one on. So what else is going on in the world of NHRA drag racing? Well, as of this morning, as I'm making this show on a Tuesday morning, it was announced that Tony Schumacher will be back for six races starting at the Denzo Spark Plugs U.S. Nationals this is uh, this is awesome, and it is something that uh, not I can say that every once in a while I knew about this. Uh, I didn't. I did not know that this was going to happen. Uh, I got a little tiny bit of advance warning last night, but I certainly did not know if or when we would see Tony again. We were hoping we'd see him again at the U.S. Nationals. Uh, he was hopeful that he would be there again when we spoke to him the last time he was out at Indy Racing, but we did not know that Okuma and that Sandovic Cormat would step up and create this relationship. We did not know that Mike Green would be the crew chief, and I'm assuming as Mike Green is the crew chief, I'm assuming we're going to see some familiar faces on that crew. It would shock me if some of the guys that worked on Austin Prox's car aren't with Mike Green. Um, They are experienced working together. Obviously, you want to hit the ground running. You want to have an experienced crew. And the arrangement that DSR had for the limited events that Tony ran at Indy, those first two races at Indy, was a good arrangement, but it's not sustainable because the the people that work in the machine shop that were spending their time working on the race car, you need them in the machine shop once you get the season rolling again. And by all account, um, it will be rolling again once we get past the U.S. Nationals. Now, unfortunately, the race in Reading, Pennsylvania, the uh, quick lane, or rather the express lane 
NHRA Nationals presented by Pennzoil unfortunately had to be canceled because of the state regulations in Pennsylvania. They are not allowing spectator events at this point in that state, which sets us up for Charlotte next or Gainesville next. And um, I'm okay with either of those things. In fact, I would be okay if the next race was, uh, you know, on Mars. I would I would be okay if the next race was anywhere that we can actually have a drag race. So, um, big news on Tony Schumacher. Was super excited about that. And listen, um, I know he is late to the party. I know that uh, he has not, at this point, racked up a bunch of round wins in his couple of appearances. But I'm going to tell you something. Over the course of six races... With Mike Green and an experienced crew, um, this is a guy who's going to play a spoiler. And however many races we have to a championship, you're inserting Tony into the vast majority of them. That will happen. And I say the vast majority not as a guess, but as a as a realistic look at the calendar, because there are only only so many weeks before you get to mid November, and there are only so many places you can keep running that late in the year. So six races will be, in my opinion, uh, the majority of what we see after the U.S. Nationals. I think we'll see a couple more than six is my guesstimation. Um, But if you're going to run six and we have eight and you can run well at those six um, and you can thump some guys that are trying to run for a championship, you're going to be a spoiler. And I know Tony Schumacher wants to be a champion. The guy doesn't show up to do anything halfway. But I also know that he would take great, great pride in being somebody who had a deciding hand in the outcome of a season. Somebody who may have showed up and disrupted a season for people. And when you're going to run six races, it's a whole lot different than running two with a makeshift crew. And I take nothing away from the people at DSR that worked on that car because they did a spectacular job. They came together in very short order. They worked as a secondary crew. For many of them, it was like back on the job that they had had before they transitioned kind of in-house at DSR. And they did a great job. But if we're going to take a experienced, battle-hardened group of, of, of drag race crewmen that do this for a living and have done this for a living and have them helmed by Mike Green, yeah, that is going to be a factor in a championship chase. Absolutely no doubt about it. Can't wait to watch that start to unfold at the Denso Spark Plugs U.S. Nationals. And again, it is a shame to lose, lose Redding. Redding is one of my favorite events every year. It's one of the favorite events of every racer on the NHRA Mellow Yellow Tour because the track is great. The fans are great. They are the most hardcore people in the nation. I have watched that place rain for four days straight. I have watched a half-full drag strip sit for seven, eight hours only to be told, hey, we're not racing today, come back tomorrow, and then get told, hey, we're not racing today, come back tomorrow. And when we ever do race there, if we ever have, when we have rain delays, like the place is still jamming full. So... Reading, uh, we miss you sincerely like Epping, like Atlanta, um, like any number of places that I wish we had been able to go but have not as of yet this year. So it continues to be a year of shuck and jive. We start now, I think, to build this momentum towards the U.S. Nationals to start having these conversations. And the first conversation we're going to have is with Mr. T.J. Zizzo. All right, so our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, first time appearance on the show, Don't Let Us Down. Driver of the Rustolium Rocket, TJ Zizzo. How you doing, man? I am doing fantastic, man. It's an honor and a privilege, sir. <laughs> well, you've been uh, you've been waited out like the rest of us uh, coming on to the U.S. Nationals here. I know that you stuck your head in uh, to the racetrack during our last event, which was the Dodge Indy Nationals. You just couldn't stay away. How did you find that out? I'm, I was incognito. How did you even know I was there? Listen, I man, I, I know didn't stuff. Announce that to anybody? I know stuff. Okay, I know stuff. <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, uh, the the sunburn on my head uh, shows it too. <laughs> Holy smokes, it was nice and warm out there, and it's awesome to just sit in the stands. Um, I love that. I, I love the sport. I love to see it from everyone's perspective. Um, so my dad and I, uh, not that he was really happy with sitting in the stands, he was sweating bullets. And uh, ever since he had heat stroke in Malta about 10 years ago, oh, and man. yeah, I did say Malta, um, <laughs> he, uh, he hates the heat. So I'm like, come on, Dad, let's watch the alcohol cars. You know, we just get done with fuel cars, let's watch the alcohol cars. He's like, TJ, I'll watch the dragsters, but then I'm out of here. You can watch the funny cars. So, um, but it was, yeah, it was super cool to sit up there, relax with the fans. It, it's always fun. It's always a pleasure. Um, 
so yeah, these are good things. So yeah, I did go. You're right, Brian. I, I did leave the shop. Um, I was thinking of everything else I could be doing on that Saturday morning. But truth be told, we needed to pick up some parts and drop off some parts. Uh, so why not see see what our competition is doing out there firsthand? Yeah, and you know, there is an element of it that's fun. I, I have two sons, and uh, every once in a while, a couple times a summer, we'll sneak up uh, to a test and two night or whatnot and just hang out in the stands and watch cars run. And there is something very... Uh, relaxing if you're someone that's involved in the sport for a occupation if you will or someone that races at the level you do it's very relaxing like it is I guess for every other fan to just go and hang out it's a cool thing yeah just hang out see the sights and really realize you know first my dad and I started out at like 300 feet right then we're like ah let's move down to 660 or so or, or wherever the stands ended I, I think it was actually like 450 feet um holy shit Jesus, these cars are fast. I mean, that's the amazing part of it. I, I was a fan up there taking, trying to take video from my cell phone. And holy cow, that's a task and a challenge for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of what the routine has been uh, at your race shop. I'm assuming it's the same routine you guys always keep. But uh, talk to me about what happens. You tow the car home from the rain ceased event that we were at the summer nationals and talk to me about what's happened uh, from that moment forward obviously you brought parts to the racetrack but what is the service routine for your team between events like this the reason we're successful brian is because we work diligently so the semi got pulled in after we washed it because it always has to be washed and cleaned before we pull it into the shop right so we wash it down scrub her up make her feel good pull her in the shop uh, that Tuesday, um, all the guys at the shop showed up, started working on it, got everything out and about and organized, um, started taking everything apart from the event. You know, we go to the racetrack with a lot of parts. And years past, we never had that opportunity. So we would go there and we would have to rebuild after qualifying. We'd have to rebuild sometimes even during eliminations and we no longer have to do that we leave here with more than enough to compete through every single round of competition and still have extra parts at the end of the weekend so when we come to the racetrack or when we come to the racetrack we are successful because we don't have to do much we just have to concentrate on our race car to make sure it performs at its peak but when we're at the shop we now have to go through the eight sets of cylinder heads and the 13 you know racks of pistons and remember we did two races in a row so our semi just sat there so we had a lot to do when we got back to the shop this we race cars are like women they always need attention they always need to make sure that they're addressed because if they're not they'll walk over to the next door neighbor's house right (laughs) um so now, not not that that has happened to me, Brian, um, but uh, but it could be happening right now as we talk as we're talking. Quite honestly, um, my wife says she's at home teaching, but I don't know. Um, so so, needless to say, we have continued the rhythm that we started about four years ago to going to less races, but doing a better job when we're there, and that starts with parts and pieces. So probably the only thing different is. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that go on away from the racetrack. So, for an example, sponsorship, right? Marketing partners. Um, I called Bob Button. Actually, I believe Bob Button actually called me and he goes, Hey, man, good job at the race. That was awesome. Glad to see you're in the finals. You know, what's going on? When are you going to run that? You know, he wanted to know all the ins and outs, right? And at the end of the conversation, he said, Do you need any jewelry? I believe that's what he called it. Um, you know, does your race car need any jewelry? He goes, I know women love jewelry, and so do race cars. And I'm like, no, Bob, we're good. We got everything we need. You know, there are no there are no needs over here. There's always some wants, but there's yeah. no needs. We're good. Um, but what then happened was I mentioned that to our team. And our team, each individual department, you know, head said, oh, no, we would love a set of push rods. We would love a new set of um head studs you know and and the list goes goes on and on and on so before the end of end of our meeting i'm like holy smokes i'm gonna have to come up with an extra 20 grand and i said "Ooh, bob button mentioned something about jewelry so that's the cool <laughs> thing about our yeah. team like i made a phone call and he said hey zizzo no problem man you'll have a check and i got it on like a monday so you know these are wonderful things and 
awesome people that I'm surrounded by, and it's people. It's not marketing partners. I'm surrounded by wonderful people. So um, that was super cool. So we were able to order some stuff that was on the fringe for like spares or spares of spares or to, hey, just in case we need an extra set of lifters, uh, let's have them soaking in oil and ready to go. You know, all those things that you don't think about those little items, but um, you have to think about those little items because those little items will cost you a race. Period. Yeah, and I think the, the basis of that, you know, relationship, whether it's with, with Bob Button or anybody else, is uh, respect in the sense that uh, he knows if he says something like that to you, you're not going to, like, lick your chops and go, oh, baby, here we go. You know, yeah, I need if any request is going to come from you, it's going to be a request that makes sense and is not, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be to enrich the race team and to enrich the performance of the car, not to slide stuff into your pockets or put stuff on the shelf. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, that is so true. I mean, I just had this conversation with Tim Wilkerson and, uh, you know, there's a great man who works really hard to do the best he can for his team. And it costs us a lot of money to run this race car. And, Sure, if my dad and I were smart human beings, we wouldn't try to perform at our best, and we would slide a couple pennies into our pocket to make all this work, but we, my dad's never been that smart, and because of him, I got his same, <laughs> Intelligent you know, I got the same brain cells. I was going to say <laughs> something completely different, but I'll leave it PC. Um, and, and true, uh, we want to perform, so and our team does, so I'm not going to take that away from anybody. Um and another thing that was really cool during this whole situation is I were to, I was able to go to Rustolium and say, hey, this is working out very well for us. Um, they're excited about it. What we do for them off the racetrack is valuable to them. It's, there's a huge value in it. So, you know, just our R&D, R&D and just getting things done around the corporate headquarters for them um, in their corporate offices and at sales meetings and all this stuff, they love that we do this. So, we were we were able to extend our contract with them as well. So all these are cool things that we get to do when we're not at a racetrack. Um, so needless to say, you know, that's what we do when we're not at a racetrack. Um, so hang on one second, Mr. Brawl. Yeah. I get the handle, too, while we're doing a podcast, right? <laughs> um, this is real life, baby. Yeah. I'll sign up for you, Mr. Mike. That's one of our team members, too. So, um, you know, these are cool things that – just because we're not at a racetrack doesn't mean we're not working diligently on our whole program. Um, you know, I don't know if anybody in that pit area knows that they're going to be racing as long as we are. I'm not going to divulge that now, but it's a long time. Yeah. So, you know, these are cool things. So, like, when a fan comes up to me at the racetrack and sees my dad and I sitting in the stand sweating bullets, they're like, well, why aren't you here? And everything we just talked about for the past 10 minutes is the reason I'm not at a racetrack. Yeah. Yeah, no, it uh, it makes sense, and you know the the lessons that uh, all of us learn, no matter what our role is in the sport, whether it's you guys with a team, whether it's somebody who's trying to make their way as an announcer, whether it's somebody as a journalist, you learn lessons in drag racing. Sometimes you learn them the hard way, and I want to go back to a lesson that I'm not saying you learned a lesson, but it was certainly something that I'm sure benefited you in the long run, even though it was painful at the time. This was uh, let's go back to 2007. You guys get the sponsorship with the what was then a very promising sounding race news magazine. I remember this with <laughs> IHRA, right? And it was a big deal. I mean, I remember the car looked great. It was your kind of traditional red and white colors, and it was a, uh, it was like, wow, these guys are great. They're going to be committed to the season. I remember you guys were going to run every every IHRA race and hit some NHRA races, and that deal didn't work out and and it turned into probably not what it was promised to be which unfortunately in motorsports happens at times but what did you guys learn out of that particular scenario (laughs) you know mr bryant i still think about that um you know that was that was a tough time in our program i mean at that point and i'm not saying some things aren't financed today right but at that point everything was financed that truck trailer my dad had loans on everything, credit cards, all of this stuff, lines of credit on homes. And, you know, we're thinking, holy cow, we got this wordsmith media. This is going to be great. We signed a contract. You're right. It looked promising. We're going to go to all these IHRA events and kick some butt. We're gonna, it's going to be a good learning experience. And then that faucet turned off, right? Yeah. Um, probably uh, maybe an eighth way into the season. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those were lessons. Those were things that we don't allow to happen anymore. Um, but 
look at us. We still went to every single event we were committed to in the beginning of the season. You did. Peak antifreeze at that time stepped up in a big way. Brian Bolander over there is a wonderful human being. He still works there. Um, he saw the potential on that IHRA championship that we were trying to go after. Um, you know, we were counting on that. I believe it was $100,000 at the end of the year to win that deal on the championship. And guess what? We finished second, and we got a check for like 25000 But we were planning on, literally, planning on that seventy five grand to pay back a lot of debt that we had incurred. And it took us a solid seven years to crawl out of that hole, Brian. It took us a long time. These, you know, people think that... You know, race cars, they know they're expensive, but they really have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, until you got one, until you start working on one, we've had plenty of team members have race cars and then say, shit, can I work on your stuff so <laughs> right. I can save a lot of money? You know? Right. Um, you know, so, so, but yeah, that was a good lesson learned. Um, and I, like I said, I still, I still think about it, man. It still bothers me a little bit, but I also know. That no matter what happened, it got us somewhere. You're right. It got yeah. us somewhere. And, and I don't. And I, I didn't. I did not want to bring it up to be negative, but I wanted to bring it up because I don't. I'm not sure a lot of people even know the story, and it speaks to the character, you know, of you and your operation of your family. That uh, that would have that would have literally sunk 99 out of 100 people that ever wanted to do this. You know what I mean? I look at that and I, I think back on it. And as I was kind of putting my notes together to talk to you, I was thinking back on it, and I just kept defaulting to the point of how many guys have I seen come in and have some sort of a deal that isn't really a deal and it goes away and you never see him again. And the reason that it, it, I think it's so interesting and integral to your story for people to hear is that it, it may have knocked you down, but it did knock you out. And that's the most important thing to me. Yeah. you In this sport, Brian, you mentioned you see teams and people and personalities come and go in this sport. But my dad's been doing this since 1977 with the late Al DePozo. So, you know, there's been a lot of longevity and history. And my dad doesn't give up. I mean, everything my dad and I, and I'm going to leave him at that, that lead mark, everything my dad has done, he's been successful at. He works hard. I, I've seen him my whole life work hard. I mean, like right now, we're going through a little little deal, and it's a, just a little hiccup with his health. But, you know, he the doctor asked him, hey, uh, you need to go in for surgery on, let's just call it the second. He goes, no, I don't. He goes, I'm going to the U.S. Nationals. I'll wait till after the U.S. Nationals. The doctor looked at him like, you're nuts. And my dad's like, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'll schedule for the 10th. <laughs> you know, so that is my dad. That's who he is. And, and that's who I learned from. And I am so proud every day that I was able to learn from someone who loves to work. He loves to work. He's still in our shop every day, although he's not involved in day-to-day -day business. He's here sometimes more than everyone else. So, you know, it's super cool, man. I, I'm surrounded, like I said, I'm surrounded by some great people. And that story is fantastic because there's been a lot of luck along the way, Brian. A lot, too. A lot. So if we're looking at, um, you know, we're looking at this season, in my mind, it's almost like every race is its own kind of little victory for for drag racing for the NHRA. Every time we're able to have an event, it seems like we're, you know, we're doing the right things. It seems like we're actually, you know, kind of moving the needle here for our own, for our own benefit and the health of the sport. How interesting is it to you that this year, this year that's been kind of defined by survival has also been defined by like all these kind of first time winners and people winning races that haven't won in a long time, whether we're talking about maybe Ryan Ayler or Angel, or we're talking about some of the action we've seen with, with both you and Ashley going to this, this top fuel final that'll be run, um, you know, and qualifying at Indy. It, it seems almost apropos that this year of, of completely off the wall scheduling and everything else has provided some really uplifting moments for people who have worked very hard for them in drag racing. Oh, absolutely. Um, Boy, when NHRA came to me early on and they mentioned that there was going to be two rounds of qualifying only, I said, fantastic. <laughs> and I thought about it from multiple angles, right? Financially, I thought about it. And it has saved us some money, which is wonderful. It allows us to go to more events, right? Um, but I also thought about how good our team is at coming out of the box and running well we know we don't know how to run a 370 yet 
We know that. But we know we could run a 376 real easy. We know we could dip into the 374s. That's right around the corner. So, you know, we know this stuff. And we know our tactic. As Even as a driver, I know I've been doing this a long time. I mean, I've been doing this for Jesus Christmas. It's like 29 <laughs> years or something. A long time. So, you know, we all collectively as a team know how to go down the racetrack um and do a really good job so i see someone like ryan on that pro stock motorcycle i watch him a little bit because i went to school at illinois state university got my engineering degree down there and he lives in that same town right now i didn't know of him he was probably a baby when i was going to school there but i have paid attention to him just because of that like next time i go visit the campus i'm gonna go see his heating and air conditioning shop i believe that's what he has down there yep and say hello you know and just say hey ryan what's happening uh you know so these are things that I and and Joe winning. Well, she's won so much. I mean, she knows how to win. You know, she she she's fantastic. So that is the best thing about going to the shortened program. You're going to get people that may never have been there before because their qualifying position is a little bit better, and they had more opportunities on a Sunday because of that. So when NHRA came to me, I was jacked about it. Yeah, and uh, I think. You know, much like, you know, the NASCAR guys went to the kind of right off the trailer racing format. It got me uh, excited to watch stuff that I really hadn't cared about in years. I watched all those early races uh, just because I thought it would be very interesting. And our qualifying shows have gotten more viewership than they have in years because all of a sudden um, it's very compelling. Even we thankfully have had and will have bump spots at all these indie races. We'll certainly have them at the U.S. Nationals as well. But even beyond that, when you're looking at maybe who might not qualify, the fact that you got a Matt Hagen or somebody ending up in the 13th spot, or you have the, a great top fuel driver, I think uh, what Coletta qualified 12th at one of these races. And it just is, like you said, it refocuses the fans, I think, and it refocuses people's attention on the idea of unpredictability. And things do really kind of shake out when you have the four sessions. I'm not saying I never want to see four qualifying sessions again, but I have really fallen in love with the two. And because when I when we get to show up on Sunday morning and you look at the ladders, you go, I mean, this guy, this guy, and this guy have a pretty good path. If they can get out of the first round, like one of these three guys has a pretty good path to get to the end. And you know, it, it's it sucks that it had to come to a pandemic for, for some of these changes to get considered and get maybe made. But my God, I, I, I'm not complaining about the results. You know, pandemics, things of this magnitude, they are sometimes really good. And I, and I hesitated over the sometimes, right? But sometimes very good for business because you could look at different ways to do it. I know in our body shop, things changed a little bit, but they changed for the better. Um, you know, either personnel or the way you do something or a process, whatever it might be. So for NHRA to, to do what they have done has been spectacular. Um, they keep on fighting just like we are, um, and that's good to see. So you're right. During these times, there has there have been some changes, and maybe some for the negative and some for the positive, but let's learn from both. What, uh, in your memory banks, uh, NHRA, IHRA, UDRA, whatever it is, uh, do you have a most memorable run? Do you have a run that, to this point in your career, sticks in your mind as a, a big, giant point of pride? Oh, yeah. There's, you know, I take a deep breath because a multiple flash into my mind, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to say there's one. I'm going to say there's, there's two that just sure. stand out. Um, Marty Thacker, multi-time U.S. national winner. Um, him and my dad competed in UDRA for, for a long time, right? A long time, um, together against each other. Um, and then I came along as a young kid and I wanted to do nothing but rip people's throats out. Right. Um, Marty Thacker, one of the best of all time to ever pilot a supercharged top alcohol dragster. No doubt in my mind. Cause I saw it early on. Um, and I was able to compete against him and, and he taught me a lot from a driving standpoint. So we're at like Owensboro, Kentucky, about midnight. There's deuce setting on the racetrack. It's a short race track, short shutdown, short everything. Um, but we both wanted to win, and it was final round. And it's UDRA. I don't care if it's UDRA, IHRA, NHRA. That's all we want to do, right, is, is turn on a wind light. So um, we're staged. I think I cut like an 006 
He cut an 003. I'm like, Jesus Christ, can I do, can I do anything? Um, and we get through the finish line, and we're both sliding and bouncing off the end of the racetrack into the bean field together, you know, staying, staying away from each other, right? But we know we were cutthroat. We knew we were going to do anything to, to get to that finish line. And we come to a stop in the bean field, and him and I are like, holy smokes, that was wild. You know, it's those times that are fantastic. Um, and we did that against Clay Milliken in Huntsville. It was early on in my top fuel career, which I had learned a lot. Um, was it the Rocket, the Rocket City point. Nationals? Yeah. Yeah, baby. The Rocket City Nationals. What was that, 150 or 100,000 to win top fuel race? 100K yeah. to win. Um, and it was cool. Before. Clay and I lined up first. You know, we go down the racetrack, and this thing is so short. We're bouncing to a stop. We get out of the car. And at that point, I was I was young in a top fuel car, right? And I get out, and I'm like, holy shit. And Clay's jumping up and down all ah. jacked up. You know, we had to stop on the racetrack because we couldn't even make the turnoff. I mean, it's stuff like that that you learn. Um, and the other thing that really stands out in my mind is against Bruce Litton. You mentioned 2007. It was Bud's Creek second round. Um, I had to beat Bruce Litton, you know, because we were going after him for the championship. The car went out there and shook the tires. I'm like, oh, shit. So I kind of swear a little bit. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, you um, can. This is the internet, okay. man. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so I, I back out of the gas a little bit. I whack the gas, go through there and beat Bruce Litton. And I said at that point in my life, I am good at this. Yeah. As a team, we are good. As a driver, I am good. We could do this. You know, that was way back in 2007. And I'm still clawing for my first nhra win um that's how challenging nhra is and you know all those three runs i just mentioned they weren't they weren't perfect runs but then they made they made us a better team or they made they, they put a smile on my face at some way or somehow like against marty thacker i don't know if i, I honestly at this point don't know if i won or lost i probably <laughs> lost but it was a, it was a hoot you know, I'll tell you the the best thing about watching Marty Thacker race is when that car was on a good run. The way he set that car up always to leave on the back tires, right? And that thing, mm-hmm. when he was on a good pole, that car would carry the front end 250 or 300 feet. And obviously, it's a dragster, so it wouldn't be way up, but it would do these low-flying wheel stands. And that was when you knew that Marty's car was really hauling ass because it had the nose up and it would barely touch the front tires down before that 330 block. And he's awesome, and he would just yeah. bang a gear and just set that thing down and keep on trucking, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's neat, and I think one of the things that's interesting to me, and and you know, it's it, it's it's a point that, and I want your take on this. I want your honest opinion on this because it's something that we obviously make a big deal out of, and and obviously it'll be a big deal to you personally if you're able to win this race. Uh, you know, the delayed uh, summer nationals, if we were Lucas Oil summer nationals, that will be run to conclusion at the U.S. nationals. Um, but it, to me, this is not a defining win in your career. It is another win in your career. It is another accomplishment that you've put together. And I guess I want to be respectful to how you consider this. So what it, what is the weight and or gravity of picking up a Wally in a top fuel car? Is it just another accomplishment? Is it the crowning accomplishment? Is it validation? What is it? <laughs> well, we, you know, there, there's a we in this, right? There's a lot of we in this. Um, and some of our team members, a lot of them, the core guys, have been grouped around my dad and I for a long, long time, more than 10 years plus, most of our guys, our core guys. And one of them in particular, um, you know, he manages a McDonald's. That's how my dad met him. Um, he drag raced motorcycles, but he he started selling sandwiches and then selling T-shirts, and now he built cylinder heads for us. I mean, it's just that culmination of time that he put in to be successful and be great and he's one of my favorite on our team and he says he told me a long time ago as soon as we win a wally i'm done you know huh. i am yeah. done <laughs> and i i had a question him on that i said at, you know and i think it was like thursday he's here at the shop working and i'm like rick did you mean that he goes hell no i didn't mean it so <laughs> you know i mean these are good things but yeah it it, it will it will give me great pleasure um, we have worked hard at this. Um, it, it will be, it is the pinnacle for me yeah. in drag racing. Um, you can't get any better than winning a top fuel event and being the best at anything that day. Um, and my wife jokes about it. Like even if her and I are playing 500 rummy or something, like 
she knows I'm there to, I'm there to beat her. I mean, that's <laughs> what it is. And, you know, she knows I, uh, I, I'm, I have become a much better loser. <laughs> I think that's what happens, right? You know? Yeah, you get, you um, mature. You grow up. That's what that's called. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You realize that, hey, if Justin Ashley goes out there and beats us, there will be another race for me. And guess what? Hopefully, if I'm qualified, it's the next day. Right. You know? So, so there's a lot of positives to all of that. Um, and I will take it as being the best that day at what we were doing. And I don't care if I'm painting a car, sanding a, a fender, or doing paperwork in our, in our office. I want to do the best I can, period. That's, that's who I am. And it's a, to, a, to a degree of sickness, too. Well, I think that um, that sickness has been fun to watch, and uh, for those of us that for those of us that are observers, paid or otherwise, it's been a fun process to watch. It's been certainly um, it's been certainly a long time comer for you and your team, and it is certainly one of the things I am most excited about. You know, the U.S. Nationals to me um, in this year of kind of survival uh, for everybody in motorsports, whether it's drag racing or otherwise, the U.S. Nationals to me represents a, mo- a weekend that we can thrive rather than concentrate on just living through 2020. I feel like the U.S. Nationals is a weekend for us to almost throw our middle fingers up at the rest of the world and say, this is who we are, this is what we do, and we're going to have a good time at it. And if you don't like it, don't come. <laughs> so, um, You're right. Yeah, I can't wait to watch you guys throw down for that rain-delayed final. TJ, I appreciate you taking the time. Great conversation, and I look forward to uh, seeing you once again at the racetrack by the cornfields and by the gas tanks. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure, Brian. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, man. So after a great conversation with TJ Zizzo, the top fuel driver, we moved to the Pro Stock Motorcycle category to catch up with the latest winner in the class, Angel St. Pei. How are you doing, Angel? I am doing fabulous. Still on cloud nine. Still it's been on over cl- a week and I haven't come down yet. <laughs> it's a good thing. Now, you, like so many other Americans, whether we're talking moms or dads, have had to transition into a new role in your life as a teacher. How's it going to the homeschooling? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, we started about 930 in the morning. And it varies, but most of the time we're not done till 2 p.m. and sometimes 4 p.m. As a matter of fact, today I just finished at 3. My husband was telling me, oh, you did a good job because they normally are in school till 3 o'clock. And I'm like, yeah, they are normally in school till 3 o'clock. I, on the other hand, have other things to do. But yet I have been spending my entire day homeschooling two kids. So, yeah, that's fun. So, you know, I want to get into a bunch of stuff. But just on that on that vein... Um, you know, I think we all teach our kids different things through the way we live our lives, right? And the things we do in our lives. And mm-hmm. I am sure your kids have learned lessons from you regarding competition, regarding intensity, regarding dedication that go beyond the classroom. So it's kind of an interesting full circle thing here where you've got to teach them the reading, writing, and arithmetic. But I'm sure you've instilled some lessons in them that go far beyond the stuff that's in the books. You know, it's funny you say that because we just talked about something like that a minute ago. We were going over to make sure all of Ava's lessons were done, and we'd have there's this to-do list, and then we clicked on something, and it was a reminder for them. It said, don't forget to submit your work or something like that. Don't forget. And I said, Ava, your teacher wrote, don't forget. I said, but I'm going to teach you a better way to do this. I said, I want you to always think about the things you want to do and not the things you don't want to do. So what she should have said is remember to submit your work. That's a positive way of thinking things. And then I went straight into when mom goes to the starting line on my pro style motorcycle and I'm worried about my reaction time. I said, do you think it would be better for me to tell myself, don't red light, don't red light? don't red light or should I go up there thinking cut a good light get a green light cut a good light get a green light she said you should say cut a good light get a green light I said yeah why she says because that's just you know a better way of thinking I said yeah so in my head if I'm thinking don't red light what am I seeing all I'm seeing is me messing up and getting a red light but if I think cut a good light then that's what I'm seeing I'm seeing a positive way I said so the next time you're in class and your teacher tells you don't forget I said, I want you to raise your hand and say, my mama told me it's better to remember instead of don't forget. And so she just laughed and she's like, you really want me to say that? I said, yes, because yeah. I think teachers should be should be saying things that way. You should be teaching them the positive way of thinking, not the negative way. So, you know, along those same lines, we would look at Pro Stock Motorcycle over the last three races, really the last three races we've had since Pomona, it's been action-packed. I mean, it's been pound for pound, in my opinion, probably the most interesting class that we've had out there. It has and, been. And your win, 
uh, is a huge part of that. And so I want to talk to you really about last the last Sunday we had and specifically the final round because to your point about having a positive mental attitude and approaching something the right way, the clutch linkage on your bike wasn't right until about three seconds before you staged that thing. So <laughs> yep. let's talk about how the attitude and that whole, more than that, let's just talk about that whole scene because it was wild. Okay, it was. It was crazy. And I'd have to say, um, you know, talking about the, the excitement and the wins and the way things have been going, this has been the biggest win for me. You know, winning as a mother, the mother of Ava for the first time back in um, 2016 was was huge. But I think this one has been the biggest accomplishment for me because of what I overcame the whole last year, the first time on the Harley. It was such a challenge. And I really, at, at, at so many points last year or so many times last year, I thought I was never going to overcome the challenge. And so to get past that and to do well and to actually get a win on top of everything that happened on Sunday like you said we were we were actually in the pit you know doing our, our between round maintenance and NHRA came and said it's time to go we're you know we're running late you got to get out there so we were a little bit rushed and they kind of just shoved everything back on the bike very quickly and when the clutch cover got put back on it kinked the cable for the clutch you know the linkage that you're talking about sure. that kinked and um we didn't I didn't notice it until I pull it through the burnout box i always hold my clutch lever in when i'm moving the motorcycle so when i release the clutch lever it didn't disengage the the lever stayed up against the, the grip <laughs> and i'm like um, um 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 and i just start banging it like what's go go you know i want it to move and then it's not moving so i start yelling andrew 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 and he comes running and he sees it so he starts working and eddie comes running well thank goodness antron was also standing there we didn't have any tools. He's like, I need something. I need a screwdriver. I need a key in it. Antron pulls out his keys and gives them to Andrew, and he starts trying to break this um, this nut loose with Antron's keys, and he breaks his key. Wow. And he looks at him, and then Antron's like, use the next one. So he goes <laughs> to the next key, and he starts using that one. So he finally gets what he needs done up on the top of the bike, and he starts trying to adjust the linkage up there, but there wasn't enough room. He needed more slack. So then that's why Eddie started working on the bottom part of the clutch. And he's, you know, loosening everything up there and trying to adjust it there. And Three and a half minutes go by, which seemed like about 45 minutes, you know, that they're working on this. Somewhere about 30 seconds into it, I realized that my breath rate had drastically increased and I could feel my heart pounding. And so I, I, that's when I clicked into that positive thinking mode and I closed my eyes and I just started telling myself, that everything's going to be fine, that these guys, I, I make jokes and I say that I race for NASA because that's how they act. And I was like, they're going to get it. It's going to be fine. And they were amazing. The way they were handling it and talking to me, it reminded me because I've been in a car crash before and a paramedic had to pull me out of the car and I was very upset. And that paramedic looked me in my eyes and with the calmest voice, she said, you're going to be fine. And she was talking to me so calm. And that's what they did. Like I'm in a we're in a serious situation here. I'm about to run the final round. And instead of them freaking out and saying, you know, and rushing and talking fast or loud, they just calmly talked to me. They said, we got it. We know it's wrong. We know how to fix it. We're going to get it. And then the NHRA safety safari guy yells one minute. And I started to get a little anxious, but then Eddie very calmly said, we only need one minute. And so once cool. they fixed it, they both looked at me and said, it's fixed it's going to work and it's going to run. So you just go and do your thing. And they said it so positively and so calmly. And so when I went up there, I just put a hundred percent of my faith in my team. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go for it because I know they did what they need to do. And Eddie even had to set the clutch by feel, you know, so he was just off the feel of his hand. He thought he got it close to where I like it, you know, how I like yeah. to race with it. And then he even told me that he gave me a little bit more as far as, um, I, I don't know how to word it right, a little bit more slack. He slowed my reaction time down a tiny bit, he said, because he had a <laughs> oh, wow. feeling. Yeah, he said he had a feeling because I had a 009 in the third round, and I'm always more aggressive as the rounds go on. He was afraid that I might push it too hard, so he put a little bit more in the clutch that it would slow me down a tiny bit, and thank God he did that, because if he didn't, it would have been on the red side. 
Yeah, double so one. I mean, it yeah, was when like when I saw the yeah. green light, I I had no <laughs> idea it was that close. I just knew it was green, and I knew that it went straight, and I knew that I shifted on time, and it wasn't leaning over at the top end of the track. I mean, it just felt like everything happened perfectly. And then when that wind light came on, no matter how many times I told myself to stay calm and don't cry, that all went out the window. <laughs> well, I, you know, just went crazy well yeah and and i want to get to that in a second but just to double down or double back on the starting line it's like you know we had a great shot um obviously you know the motorcycles when you get three or four people around you can't normally see a lot of stuff but we had a great shot and because we were trying to figure out what they were doing and all of a sudden it popped up mm-hmm. on our screen i said that's okay that's they're working on the clutch linkage basically yeah. clutch and cable. could you see how calm his hands weren't shaking he was just slowly working on it it was amazing yeah no it was totally pro and and we couldn't hear i mean we could see the kind of of the way they were working their body language we couldn't hear the conversation but to have you add mm-hmm. that element makes it even more interesting that they were like hey we got it we understand we know it's what's fine. going they on they just kept saying it's fine we got it they just kept reminding me everything's fine it's gonna work and you know for- i was just hoping they were telling me the truth <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, the selfish, the selfish, you know, TV side of me is like, it made for, you know, when you crush the tree for 001, it made the whole story like that much better, right? Because it's <laughs> it like, it was, it was phenomenal. And, yep. you know, the next part of this is, you mentioned you go to the top end and you pull your helmet off. And the first words I heard you say was, this is my day. And it's I, my day. Yeah. It and t- talk to me about day. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I started yelling because all day long I kept thinking, maybe this is my day. Maybe this is my day. Because it has to be your day. The stars have to align. Everything has to go perfect for you to win an NHRA drive race. It's, it, I mean, you have to have luck on your side. You have to have skill. You have everything has to be your day, and um, and it hasn't been my day for a really long time. No, no matter how many times I thought today's my day, it wasn't my day. Well, this time I, it just seemed like things were going my way. You know, I, of course, I did not want to have a single run in the first round. But just the fact that Steve Johnson didn't make it, and I knew I was going to second round, that was like, well, here's the first, here's your yeah. sign. that This might be your day. You know, that you're absolutely going to the second round. And then I have Andrew Hines second round. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I, <laughs> I have been needing to qualify better so that I don't have a killer competitor second round. I qualified number four, and I still have Andrew Hines second round. So I get up there, we race each other, I beat him, I'm like, holy crap, and I remember he tunes my motorcycle, and he's one of the most awesome competitors in the sport, and I beat him, so second sign, today might be your day, so I'm like, oh my gosh, this really might be my day, and then we get up there for third round, and I got to race Scotty, and I know Scotty's, he's, right now, he's on the, he's on a roll. Yeah, and that bike's fast. reaction times, he's, he's such an excellent rider, he's on a fast motorcycle, so to get past him, I went into the final round knowing this is my day. And then when that clutch linkage broke, it did that on the star line, it all came flooding in. This is not my day. This is not <laughs> happening. This is Chris Bostick's day. I mean, I just knew it was his day. And so that's why I just sat back and relaxed and said, there's nothing I can do about this. All I can do is all I can do. So I'm going to get up there. I'm going to do the best job I can if my wind light comes on. I know, I know I'm probably going to lose it. And then when that wind light came on, instantly I started screaming, it is my day, it is my day. I mean, I was screaming it the whole time. And I didn't realize how loud I was screaming it because when I came off the track, they had all heard me and I could already hear the safety squad guy saying, yes, it is your day, yes, it is your day. And I was, I was so embarrassed because I just didn't realize how loud I was being. But I couldn't help it, man. I'm, I'm 43 wins. And I am as passionate about the 43rd as I was about the first one. And I don't think that's ever going to change. I think I will always be that passionate. Yeah, you know, it's drag racing always seems to have like some weird poetry to it when stuff like this happens. You know, I, I think if it was a day when you just ran everybody over four rounds straight and there was none of these bumps in the road, there was none of this stuff, it wouldn't feel differently. I mean, it would still be a great, a great victory and mm-hmm. everything else. But when, when we take... The, the day is a small piece of it, and we look back over the last couple of years when when things have not broken your way, have not fallen in these situations. The last four years, if something like this had happened to you before a couple Sundays ago, it wasn't going to turn out the way it did. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, so when you when you overcome whatever that weird hump was that you were behind, now you're over it. Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty cool from a spectator, you know, media side of it, but it has to be even more mentally empowering for you. Not that you never thought you could do it, because I'm sure you always 
you have to. If you're a competitor at a professional level, you always have to believe in yourself. But yeah. this is the type of reinforcement that is invaluable, right? It is. It, you know, it means so much more to me to win after the struggle. When I first started racing in 1996, I was number four qualifier at the first race, went to the semifinals. At my fourth race I ever entered, I was number one qualifier, set the national ET record, and won the race. There was no struggle. I came off the trailer and started winning races. Um, the only struggle I had was, you know, to get that first championship. The first year I lost it by eight points. And then the next time um, that I was in contingency, I, I won it. And then I won it again. And then I won it again, three years in a row. So back then, I didn't appreciate the wins like I do now because now it has genuinely been a struggle. And I... I'm so grateful for it because not only for myself personally and what it's teaching me and how it helps me if I'm doing motivational speaking or just, you know, helping a friend out with something, but because I have two daughters looking up to me and they're not seeing me get out there and easily win races. They see me struggling and working. I'm at the gym at five o'clock every morning. I'm, you know, I'm working harder than anybody I know. And it's so hard to get this bike down the track from point A to point B in a, perfectly i don't think that'll ever happen but it's just so hard to do it and ava and maya are watching me struggle but yet they're also seeing me continue to work hard and never give up and then they finally see the win and there's nothing better that i could ever teach my kids than that and that's not something i i'm just telling them it's something that they're living they're watching it and that is why i'm so grateful for the way this has all fallen into place because i know they're learning a great lesson Oh, uh, yeah, beyond uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, that's that is uh, absolute 100% truth. What was what was the big physical adjustment you had to make when you got on the Harley bike? Because, you know, it was it, it was not a, the smoothest transition, right? If to watch it, it, was it, not. it and so from a guy who's never ridden a pro stock bike and absolutely never will, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, explain to me or anybody else that'll never get on one of these things. What made that switch difficult for you? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, it was the biggest issue was the mental, the mental um, side of it that I was completely overwhelmed and intimidated by the fact that it was a Harley Davidson. And that started when I went to Vance and Hines in Indianapolis the very first time, my very first trip there. Uh, they brought me into the race room and there sat the Harley Davidson that I was going to be racing. And when I sat on it, it was like they were going to crank it up and tell me I had to ride it right now. That's how bad my heart was pounding and I was breathing heavy. I was so intimidated and scared of this motorcycle simply because it's a Harley Davidson. And, you know, and that is because of what that team has done in the sport in the past 10, 15 years, you know, they've just dominated. So when you see them, you think, wow, this is just the best team, the fastest motorcycles, you know, everything's just so amazing about them. So, now I have to get on this bike and show that they really are that good that they can put me on it and win. So I was overcome with, um, you know, I had already just flooded myself with thinking that I have to perform. You know, when I get on this bike, I better set the world on fire or this is going to be so embarrassing. So I was overwhelmed by that. I was overwhelmed of the awesomeness of the team and the motorcycle. But then when it was actually time to ride it, um, it was so hard compared to anything I've ever done and it was because of the lack of a fairing on the motorcycle if you okay, remember the bike sure. I was riding when I first started it just had that little teeny tiny windshield and I've been on a Suzuki or a Buell which was a full fairing full front you know all the way from the bottom to the top it redirects the wind completely away from you and you don't feel anything pushing your head your shoulders your arms your hands it's just like going 100 miles an hour in a car and then you stick your hand out the window. You know how as soon as you hit that wind, yeah. now it feels like 400 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> but inside the car, it feels like, you know, 50. Well, that's I went from riding a motorcycle that I was completely protected from the wind to riding one where I was not protected at all. And so I had the intimidation mentally. And now I had the intimidation of the physical difference where yeah. this wind is hitting me in every place that I've never felt it before. And it was so distracting. You know, instead of thinking about where the bike's going and when I have to lean and when to shift, all I could feel was something beating the hell out of me, and it was the wind. Yeah. 
and it felt like it was trying to pull me off the back of the bike. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm, do- I'm going 400 miles an hour and I'm not, but it was, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring it all together mentally. And so after I rode that particular motorcycle for a little while I started getting used to the way the wind felt but it still was so aggressive you know like it was pulling me and the fact that I am now on a very powerful motorcycle you know I went from riding a bike that was fast but this bike was way faster and so I switched to you know these these guys they know what they're doing um and then we you know we switched to the fxdr that I'm on now and then it gave us a little bit more protection from the wind. It's like way better on my head and shoulders. Um, I, we still feel it because it kind of wraps around and does this little twist and still hits us, but nowhere near as bad as the other bike was. And so this one is way better. So as time went on and I got used to it and then the body changed and I got even better and then I, I wasn't scared of the fact that it was a Harley anymore. And I realized that they're not going to kick me off the team <laughs> if I don't win every single race. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things just started getting better. And then over the off season, I made a, a decision that I was going to work my butt off to be in the best physical shape that I feel like I've ever been in in my whole life. So at 50 years old, I'm in better shape than I was at 26 when I started this. So, I mean, I got into the gym. I worked my butt off and um, got myself into the mental place that I used to be when I felt like I could dominate. Sure. And then, you know, went to Gainesville, and I was ready to kick their butts, and then they tell us to go home. Coronavirus hit, y'all got to go home. So, yeah, that was a little devastating for me, but I, you know, I stuck with my training regimen. I stuck with, um, you know, just keeping myself in a, in a mental place that I wanted to be, and then second race out, it, it all came together. So I'm just yeah, that's great. I'm just grateful that we're out there. What uh, what did, what was the response you got from the uh, folks at Harley Davidson? I'm sure they were very happy. Yeah, very very happy. Everybody's excited about it. Um, we're actually going to be doing some stuff with Harley in, in the next coming week. Uh, hopefully, I don't know exactly what they're going to be using it for, but you know, a lot of media things going on. Great. Um, just you know, Andrew was excited because Harley Davidson has wanted a female on their motorcycle for a really long time now and they finally gave me a shot at it and like that's what like I said last year I was so scared that I was letting them down and that they were regretting the decision so now that I have that win and the monkey's off my back and I know I can do this and they know I can do this you know I feel like the pressure's off and now it'll be much more fun and I think more success will come because I won't be so worried about it anymore. Yeah, and that was uh, that was going to be the last question I was going to ask you is when when Angel drives in through the gate um, on Sunday morning at the U.S. Nationals, how is this person different than the person that drove through the gate just a couple weeks ago before this win happened on Sunday morning? Yeah, I, I was still very doubtful. You know, I believed that it was possible, but I didn't know if it was probable anymore. And now that has completely changed. You know, I know that the probability of me winning again is great. It's, I'm going to make it happen. It's going to happen. You know, if it takes one race or 10 races, it's going to happen again. And I don't have that worry anymore. But the, the biggest thing is I went from being afraid of my motorcycle and dreading when they told me it was time to run, like, oh, we got to do this again, <laughs> to now I am in love with my motorcycle. We have a personal relationship. Her name is Harley Quinn. I call her Harley Quinn. She misses me. I miss her. We can't wait to be reunited. And, and I just think that the two of us are a complete package. And I cannot wait to get back on her in for the U.S. Nationals. I just know, no matter what, no matter what the outcome is, it's going to be a great time. I'm going to enjoy myself more than I ever have before. No, it's great. And, uh, you know, it reminds me, I'm a you know, guy who lives in Boston, lived in Boston my whole life, so I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan. But back in 04, when they won the World Series, they were down, this is before they got to the World Series, but in the in the ALCS, they were down three games to none against the Yankees. And one of the guys on the team, they had this footage of him during the warm-ups. He was walking around the, trying to pump the guys up, and he said, don't let us win tonight. He said, "Just don't let us win one." And then they came back and won four straight, and and won the and won the uh, the the World Series that year. And I feel, you know, not necessarily you're going to go out there and win every race this season, but I do have this this kind of sense of like, don't let her win one, and they let you win one. And I think that yeah. might be bad news for everybody else, which is cool. Yeah. No, I, I it like I said, it doesn't really matter what happens. 
you know, this is a rough year, a very rough year for everybody. Everybody loves, we love drag racing. Being at home, talking about it is great, but doing it is the best, and we haven't been able to do it like we want. And so I've already decided that no matter what happens for the rest of the season, I'm praying and hoping for more races. But no, despite what happens, I've, I won my race. I won. So I, I've already had a successful year. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for more. I'm hoping to get back on the track as often as we can. But if for some reason we can't, at least I get to be at home and enjoy the fact that I got that win this year. Amen to that. Well done, and uh, best of luck when you get to the advanced algebra portion of your school year this year. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Angel- yeah, I may have a whole new career. I'm registered nurse, post-op motorcycle racer, and teacher. Angel, thanks for taking the time out of your day. Sincerely appreciate it. Congratulations on the victory, and best of luck at the Denzo Spark Plugs U.S. Nationals. Thank you so much for having me you got to love the spirit of both of our guests on today's show, both Tony Zizzo, TJ Zizzo, I should say, and Angel, really epitomized to me the mentality of competition, the mentality of striving to win, the mentality of slogging through the slow times, slogging through the hard times to get to the good stuff. Both of them have gotten to the good stuff, whether it's Angel taking the win just a couple of weeks ago, whether it's TJ with the opportunity to win in top fuel against Justin Ashley when we get to the Denzo Performance or Denzo Spark Plugs NHRA US Nationals. Both racers have uh, certainly done themselves a lot of favors over the course of their careers by hard work and dedication and sticking to their programs. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Every single day we get a little bit closer to the Denzo Spark Plugs US Nationals, a race that isn't about surviving 2020. It is a race that is about thriving in 2020. Look forward to the celebration that will be the U.S. Nationals when we get there. We'll be back next week with another pre-ending NHRA Insider Podcast. I can't wait. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll see you next time.